Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's 1971, almost 50 years ago. It's spring training for the Cincinnati Reds, and a new broadcaster for the team has arrived in Tampa and is getting to know the folks populating the clubhouse. See, Al Michaels had been working for a minor league baseball team in Hawaii when he got the promotion to the bigs. And it wasn't just a call-up, it was a call-up to an ascending team with a lineup of heavy hitters. It wasn't the big red machine, not quite yet, but Cincinnati was starting to hum and thrum. There was Johnny Bench, a 23-year-old catcher from Oklahoma who just won the National League's MVP award. There was a quiet center fielder, George Foster, good for home runs by the dozens. You had a flashy Venezuelan shortstop, Davy Concepcion, a mature clubhouse presence in Tony Perez, and there was a truly one-of-a-kind player named Pete Rose. Rose wasn't what you'd call a classic leader, no, not by any stretch, but he had this magnetism. He had terrible habits away from baseball, but he was the consummate professional with everything else that came with the game. Ask him about any pitch he'd face that night, and he could recite it. He was slick and savvy, but he also had these ridiculous mutton-chop sideburns and what was then called a bowl cut. He was happy to play the role of the rube. Let Johnny Bench go shake hands with the sponsors. Rose wanted to play baseball, not politics. Anyway, when spring training started, Rose wasn't there. He was holding out. See, the team was offering him $105,000, and he wanted $110,000. Predictably, they settled on $107,500, meaning halfway. Rose showed up, and then, well, he was Pete Rose. Al Michaels was, and is, a few years younger than Rose, and he was drawn to him. On a rare day off, Rose would take extra batting practice in the morning, and then, Pete Rose being Pete Rose, he decided that he and Al Michaels would drive to what is now called Tampa Bay Downs near Clearwater for a full cart of thoroughbred horse racing. The races ended, and in the evening, they got back into their car and drove to St. Petersburg and showed up at Derby Lanes for a 12-race cart of Greyhound racing. Afterwards, they were driving back to Tampa on the Gandhi Bridge, and what was on the other side of the bridge? A high life fronted, which had a late double. Al Michaels was still in his 20s, and he was riding shotgun. He would later tell me that that night he'd pulled a Pete Rose gambling trifecta. But remember, the day had started with Pete Rose taking extra cuts at the batting cage. A few weeks later, on April 14, 1971, the Reds were playing Atlanta for an early season game. On the air, Michaels made a big deal that it was Pete Rose's 30th birthday. After the game, they were on the bus going back to the Marriott in downtown Atlanta. Pete was sitting across the aisle from Michaels, who said, Hey Pete, when we get back to the Marriott, let me buy you a drink for your 30th birthday. Rose cast a wry smile and said, Hey, if you wanted to do that, you had to have been here last year. Rose looked at Michaels, Michaels looked at Rose, and then Rose said, Don't you say anything about that. Yes, Pete Rose was apparently born in 1940, not 1941. See, in high school, he needed to jack up his age with a scout to get a bonus a year earlier. So even Pete Rose's birth date is, how to put this nicely, a bit of a hustle. 
1971 season, by the way, it was actually a down season for Rose. He would only bat 304 with 192 hits. But by 1985, when Rose was, well, however old he was, he smacked his 4,192nd hit, breaking Ty Cobb's all-time record. The hit king would retire with 4,256 in all, a record and a mark unlikely ever to be broken. That's more than 21 seasons of 200-plus hits. And then, in 1989, came the great downfall. And the hit record competes with reputational territory with, well, the guy who gambled three different ways back in 1971. As the former SI writer Joe Piznanski recently put it, quote, There's something about the way he's wired that prevents him from feeling doubt, a crossing of the wires that made him the all-time hit leader and made him the most famous athlete in American history to be permanently suspended from his game. Sports Illustrated played a critical role in that suspension and in the investigation of Rose in 1989. That March, Peter Uberoth, the commissioner, caught wind that Sports Illustrated was working on an investigation into Rose's gambling on baseball. MLB then announced they would start their own investigation. By August, Rose was permanently banned. And it's here that Sports Illustrated writer and producer Priya Desai picks up the story on this week's episode of The Record. The banishment for life of Pete Rose from baseball is the, is the sad end of a sorry episode. One of the game's greatest players has engaged in a variety of acts which have stained the game, and he must now live with the consequences of those acts. August 24th, 1989, the end of Pete Rose's career in baseball. It was a scandal that found its way into courtrooms and at the center of FBI and IRS investigations. It created a media frenzy. Over three decades later, and Rose still manages to find himself in the news cycles. Just this past February, he made headlines once again asking to be reinstated to Major League Baseball. It even elicited a tweet from the president himself. Donald Trump thinks Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, in case you were wondering. All of this began with one phone call to the tip line of the Sports Illustrated newsroom. The caller claimed Rose had committed the ultimate sin in sports. He bet on baseball. Former SI senior writer Craig Neff was brought onto the team of investigative reporters who broke one of the biggest scandals in sports history. And the very first piece that we wrote, the uh, a guy named uh, Alan Statman, who was the lawyer for Ron Peters, who ran a cafe and was supposedly Pete's main uh, bookie. His lawyer wanted to sell us his account of, the, of what happened. And we don't pay for journalism. That's not what we do. Um, so we turned him down. But he had said to us that he had spoken to Major League Baseball and made them aware that you know, he had information about Pete betting on, on baseball. And, and so that gave us entree to um, approach baseball about what it knew and what it was doing. And, and you know, we were simulta- simultaneously investigating every aspect, you know, who Ron Peters was and other associates of Pete's. And at this point, there was nothing in the public about Pete Rose and gambling. It was, this was totally out of the, you know, the blue. Um, and we, of course, had to talk to Major League Baseball about to get a response as to what it was doing 
on having supposedly received this information. So at this point, you guys are looking into the background of this bookie and his connections to Rose. But then there's also that bigger question, did he actually speak with Major League Baseball and how much do they know? Uh, What was MLB's reaction? Well, we closed the magazine on Sunday and Monday in those days. And by my recollection, on Monday, Major League Baseball suddenly announced that it was investigating Pete Rose for baseball. So it kind of scooped. They knew that we were doing a story. Then they scooped our story by announcing it publicly. So we had to kind of retool quickly. And um, that first piece that still had a fair amount of information from us um, was only a scorecard. It was a long scorecard item. It wasn't a cover story. It wasn't um, because we were on such a tight deadline in those days. You know, again, it's in this in this day and age where it's twenty four seven news cycle, and you have every possible you know a news outlet um, that that didn't exist back then. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So at this point, MLB has publicly announced the investigation, which means you guys are competing against other outlets, and it's really all hands on deck. Yes, it's very much. It was very much a team effort throughout, and the, the, a lot of reporters were involved at different points. But the two most significant ones: one was Jill Lieber, who was a staff writer at the time, and she was uh, a, a tremendous uh, reporter, an in-person interviewer, and actually, a, I mean, a pioneer of sorts in women's journalism and sports. I will say. The other was uh, Marty Dardis, who was uh, he was almost 70 at the time, was not a journalist per se. He was an investigator and he had he was legendary, really. He he had made his name of uh, in Florida when he had uh, connected the Watergate break in to President Nixon's reelection committee. He was a former cop and a real you know hard nosed investigator who would help us on projects. He wasn't a staff writer or anything. So those two um, spearheaded our our field reporting um, on the case. And there were some others who worked on little parts of it because there were so many parts and pieces to this story. Yeah. Just how many moving parts were there? Well, again, initially we didn't know how many uh, how many arms would be reaching into this. But before long, we realized that besides um, uh, Pete Rose's confidant, his, his sort of in, inner circle of, of, of friends and associates, um, there were uh, federal investigations involving either him or those associates. Um, and it had the IRS, it had the, the Customs Department, it had you know federal drug authorities. There's also a uh, baseball investigation that started um, fairly early on with John Dowd. So there was a parallel track that baseball was now investigating it. Yeah. And of course, there's also Pete himself. How long before you guys started reaching out directly to him and, and what were those conversations like? Oh, every time we did a piece, um, somebody had to, yeah, would sit, would, would meet with him. And uh, from the, from the very beginning, it, I think the first scorecard item that we did that, that um, got it started 
Um, uh, it's usually Jill and Marty. I think there was somebody else in a meeting here or there, but he, um, you know, he lied. I mean, Pete's problem wasn't just that he gambled, it's that he, he covered up and he so brazenly um, uh, denied everything. And his ultimate, we had, I remember an ultimate quote in the story. We uh, were asking him about that <clears throat> Jonathan's Cafe, uh, where he had, you know, his his one of his prime bookmakers was running it, and he had been there many times, supposedly. And he he claimed he had he had never been to the cafe, and said, and I'm, I I don't even think I've even been to a cafe. It was he would sort of make these outrageously um, extreme denials, uh, and um, in the end, that you know that hurt his case tremendously with baseball because it took him almost 15 years before he finally admitted that he'd bet on the sport. So um, uh, it was ever, so we always did, and he would always deny everything and be utterly defiant. And, uh, you know, he would be Pete. He would be who he was, that same combative, aggressive guy who was such a great player and who applied that same, you know, that same uh, ability on the field to great success. It's the first time I can remember questioning can you separate the man from the sport? And how much does someone's character matter to the game? I, re I remember reading that um, Lenny Dykstra, the uh, baseball player who was investigated for gambling after Rose, that he was quoted as saying that he was grateful that there had that he had seen what had happened to Rose because it stopped him from um, getting even more deeply involved and handling his own situation. Um, in a in a same in the same way, um, and I thought that was that was kind of interesting. There aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of people. If you're holding Pete Rose up as an example, there aren't a lot of you know like future Hall of Famers who are also betting on baseball and are fear, fearful of meeting, missing out on the Hall of Fame. I mean that that's that's pretty rare. But for for other players to at least get that message, like hey, baseball is serious about this. It's probably as important as ever in in this age where. You know, baseball, you know, gambling was like a nightmare to baseball, and now it's going to be a, a revenue stream. I mean, they're in business with uh, with gambling, you know, company to to maximize the revenue of the legalized sports betting world that we're entering. So it's an interesting time ahead. So what was the reaction when the piece was finally out there? Well, we it was taken very seriously as a, as a, as a person who writes an investigative story or is an editor for one, there's a point where you've, you've, you've closed the story, it's going to come out the next day, and there's always a bit of a knot in your stomach that, you know, you may be proud of the work you did, but like, okay, did we miss something? Is there, when this comes out, is there going to be, it's like some, some person going to step forward and somehow disprove, even though we've done all this work, there's a little bit, always that little bit in there. And so, um, but in our case, it was, it was a blockbuster and because SI had such credibility and because our stories were put together in a way that had, you know, so much clear documentation and clear explanation of what was going on, um, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't, I don't remember anyone saying, oh, SI is inventing, trumping up this charge and this is just like a sensational journalism. It was rock solid journalism and, and people responded that way. But I can't even imagine what it would have been like today with with Twitter and Facebook and the likes, if we if we had this kind of story and and the outcry and and uh, some of the some of the well, there actually is some fake news out there and twisted stories that people come up with. Unfortunately, um, you know what that would have been like to deal with. You guys basically spent six months, day and night, working on this story and a series of stories. So I 
wonder what your reaction was years later in 2004 when Pete Rose's book came out. Oh, I mean, I, I, I certainly uh, smiled a bit when he finally admitted that he had bet on baseball. And I followed, you know, the post the, the post scandal coverage, if you will. Um, but it's, you know, he, he still hasn't has never struck me as being all that contrite. He, you know, he has moments and flashes of, of it. But but, you know, he, he didn't seem to ever really get that, that I think if he had handled it differently, he he could have been reinstated and and been in the Hall of Fame by now, um, but he fought it for so long. Um, I, at the same time, and I, and I I don't I don't fault baseball for having a rule and uh, that says, look, you can't do this because it jeopardizes the reputation of the game, the credibility of it. I, I an organization has that right. I also wouldn't mind and think it would be appropriate that someday Pete has a plaque in the Hall of Fame. That says, um, you know, that he was the all-time hits leader, seventeen-time All-Star, etc., and he also made a huge mistake and was banned from the game. Because I think that could have great impact he, on the field. He's earned his place there, and I think you could you could include him, and it would be appropriate. Regardless of what the commissioner said today, uh, I do not bet on baseball. Uh, I love the fans, not only of Cincinnati but of baseball in general. Uh, and the only thing I can tell the fans is uh, I did not bet on baseball. Is there one regret you have? What's the greatest regret when you think back and reflect on your Well, life? if I could change my life, obviously I wouldn't have bet on baseball. I mean, that's the worst thing I could have ever did. Uh, but, uh, you know, I paid the penalty. I've been suspended 30 years. Uh, they, took, uh, they took the game away from me that I loved. Uh, I still love the game of baseball. I still support the game of baseball. You know, you may think I'm crazy when I tell you this, but I think I'm the best ambassador baseball has. Thanks, Priya. That's great work. And man, what a strange and sad story uh, three decades plus later. I, I want to start by asking you, I don't usually do this, but let's start with a hypothetical, a counterfactual. And that is, if SI hadn't been involved in this investigation, what do you suspect would have happened? Would Major League Baseball have had the courage slash political will to carry this out? Yeah, I think what struck me was just how quickly Major League Baseball made that announcement about the investigation after SI contacted them with the information that they had gotten. So if SI had not gotten those tips and had not followed through with the story, would this had just been an internal issue? And would Major League Baseball want to keep the sanctity of the sport intact and just deal with this in-house? But then that means dealing with Pete in-house. And as we know, Pete Rose is unapologetically Pete Rose. Keep going with that. Let's play amateur psychologist and just take a stab at this. I mean, what what's driving this? We talked in the intro about how this is uh, a guy who's a bit of a, a rambler and a gambler, and even his birthday is a subject of, of mystery and, and hustle. Is this guy just a con man? Well, if he is, he's not a very good one. <laughs> you know, in 2004, when he finally admitted to gambling on sports and, and betting on his team, he claimed that he bet on them every night and bet on them to win. And then you look at the Dow report and that investigation says he gambled on specific nights and he gambled on specific pitchers. So 
well, never really know the whole truth. There's just really Pete's version of the truth. And does that make him a con man? I don't know. Not necessarily, but it makes him Pete Rose. Priya, thanks. That was great work on a story that I'm sure a lot of people know the result, but I suspect very few people know how this came about. So thanks a lot. I'm John Wertheim. This is Sports Illustrated's The Record. You can subscribe to The Record on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and we'll have another deep dive next week. Our episode today was produced and edited by Priya Desai. Alex Hampel is a supervising producer on the project. Our executive producer is Scott Brody. And SI's director of digital projects and product is Ben Eagle. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>